Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 2 Samuel. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study. Well, let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 4 this evening. You remember, uh, we kind of left off where Abner had... uh, really kind of turned over a new leaf, as it were, or changed his MO, his pattern. He, he decided, man, I'm going I'm to go and connect back up with, with David. And uh, he really realized that that's what he needed to be doing. And so he really uh, wanted to get things right and uh, went and, and connected up with David. And it was a great, great thing that happened in the fact that he was really going to want his desires to bring Israel uh, because David was... a uh, you know, anointed king and ruling over Judah. But Judah in Israel, for seven and a half years, there's been this civil war between the two. So that, that's kind of where we sit right now as we get into chapter four. There's this civil war, and it's just about to kind of draw to its conclusion here in chapter four, verse one. When Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart, and all Israel was troubled. Well, one of the interesting things, if we just flip back over into verse 27 of chapter 3 for just a moment, when Abner had returned to Hebron, now Hebron is, is an interesting place. If you remember going back through, as we spent time in the Word, Hebron is a, actually a city of refuge. You remember how there were these cities of refuge where someone could go and take refuge, and the avenger of blood, you know, the closest next of kin, you know, he had to respect that that was like a, a safety zone, basically. And so if he would have just stayed inside the safety zone, he probably would have been okay. But what happened? Read with me in verse 27. Now, when Abner had returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him. Basically, when you read through it in its real context of it, is he, he asked him, hey, come on outside. And when they went outside the city gate. Now it's a free-for-all. So he's no longer in the safety zone. And it's kind of interesting, in a simple way, that's kind of what happens if we get deceived thinking that it's safe outside of that relationship that we have with the Lord. Because there's no safety outside of that. Jesus is our place of refuge. He's our rock, our fortress, our hiding place. He's the place of where we find refuge, and it's in him. And so if he would have just stayed, his, his mistake really uh, was, was walking outside of Hebron, not staying in Hebron. Well, this is where uh, now, knowing that Abner had died, now he was the, the leader of uh, Ishbosheth's you know, army you know, that had been formed, uh, Saul's son, and you know, it was uh, one of Saul's uh, leaders also. So his son loses heart, and all Israel was troubled. Man, this, now this guy's, one, he was turning on us. Two, he's gone. And now where does that leave us? Now what do we do? Now Saul's son had two men who were captains of troops. The name of one was Bana, or you can go banana if you want. It's easier to remember that way. And, and he, he, the name of the other was Rechab. The sons of Rimnon, the Berathite, and the children of Benjamin, for Bereth was uh, also part of Benjamin. Because the Berathites fled to Gidim, 
and have been sojourners until this day. Jotham, Jonathan, excuse me, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Now, Mephibosheth, we're going to catch up with him again and kind of learn a little bit more about him when we hit uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9. So there's a whole great, really great story connected with Mephibosheth. Don't say it fast too many times. But anyhow, that is a great, great story connected to him. And we'll catch up with him here in a few chapters. Then the sons of Rimnon, the Barathite, and Rechab, the, and Baana, uh, set out and came about, it came at about the heat of the day, the house of Ishbosheth, who was lying on his bed at noon. So much for sleeping in, guys. You've got to be careful. This guy's laying there just kind of, obviously, there's some kind of, they're a bit distraught about what's going on. These guys are familiar with what's happening, but they come in, and obviously they were connected with uh, Abner and the, and the rest of them too. And so they came in, they, they come in about noontime, they came there and uh, they, all the way into the house as, as though to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach, and Rechab and Baana, his brother, escaped for when they came into the house, he was lying on his bed in his bedroom, and they struck him and killed him, beheaded him, and took his head, and were all night escaping through the plain. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron, and said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life, and the Lord has avenged my lord, the king, this day, of Saul and his descendants. These guys, the thing is, is they really think they've done this great thing. That, that's, that's their mindset. They've done this awesome thing. Now, this is already something like this has already happened before, too, similar to this. Where they think they're doing God this big favor, and they're thinking that this is all the right thing. It seems good to them. But David answered Rechab and Banna, his brother, the sons of Rimnon, the Barathite, and said to them, As the Lord lives... Who has redeemed my life from all adversity? He says, man, I'm giving God the glory. God's the one that, you're not my redeemer. God's my redeemer. You know, and he's kind of making that part clear. Because, you know, God's delivered me. When someone told me, saying, look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziklag. The one who thought I would give him a reward for his news they thought this was good news. They've done a good thing. This is, I've, I've, I was the one that thrust, you remember? The Malachite, the young Malachite says, I was the one that thrust him through. He thinks he should be rewarded for his great thing that he's done. It seems like it was a great idea. It seemed good at the time. The thing is, is it's not the heart of God. And ultimately, they're going against God's word. He says in verse 11, How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house on his bed? Therefore shall I not require his blood at your hand and remove you from the earth. Basically says, I'm going to kill you. So David commanded his young men and they executed them, cut off their hands and feet and hanged them by the pool in Hebron. That's a fair statement. I think he's got his point made there by doing that. 
But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. So again, simple thought, just man, sometimes we, we can think that we're doing something, it seems right, but if it's going against God's word, it's not. And, and we just got to stay with that. Remember, they were not to go against God's anointed. They weren't supposed to be doing that. This is all something that was, they're going after innocent blood in this situation. There was no reason for them to do that. This whole thing was going to ultimately end up settled anyhow. David was going to be ruler. It's a great thought. It's a good thing to realize. Again, I've mentioned many times, but it, that thing rings in my head whenever I come to scriptures like this of people telling me, well, I know what the Bible says. I know what the teaching is on this, but this is what I do. Like they've come up with this better plan than God's plan. And it's always, whoo, oh, oh, I've got red lights and bells going off in my brain as soon as I hear somebody say that. Well, yeah, I know what the Bible says, but this is what I do. Whoo, that's bad news. If the Bible says something, that's probably what we ought to do. It's not complicated. Keep it simple. This is what David's really basically in verses 9, 10, and 11 telling them, hey, I understand you think you've done some good thing, but it wasn't the right thing. It wasn't God's heart or God's word. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, so all of them know that this has happened. It's time to bring all, so Judah and Israel now coming back together as one nation under David's rule. So they're gathering all together in Hebron and spoke, saying, telling David, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also, so that's the first thing they tell him. Also, in time past, this is the history that we know, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, so he says, hey, we saw how you came and went and how you fought battles on behalf of Israel. We saw how you handled yourself. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. And in Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So there's the breakdown. They had the first seven and a half years as David was ruling, and it was civil war. The next 33 years, they were one nation under uh, his rulership. Interesting kind of thing with David. And you just notice there's a few things, just a couple of key thoughts here in really in our service to the Lord as they are acknowledging who he is. And it's just a couple little things you might tuck away uh, in, in interacting with other people in, in just the general ministry that we have. Look at before it was um, acknowledged really uh, of who he was, one of the first things we know is, indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. There's some identification or connection between the people. There has to be this idea of, of relatability or uh, understanding or connection. There has to be some kind of connection. You guys have your sphere of influence. We each do. We have people we see, we connect with. It. There's an identification between you and them. There's something that makes us relatable. And he's saying, you're, we're, we're kind of... Uh, we understand each other. We're family in that sense is basically what he's saying. There's a relatability in this. There's relationship connected to this. That's the first thing. The second thing you notice is also in time past. 
So there's some kind of history that's there in the journey that he has with God. It's obvious there's some kind of history. You and I, we should have some history with God that's there and clear. It's a past history, something going on, something happening with the Lord that's something that connects. And then there's this clear something's been spoken by the Lord, and the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over them. So that there was an acknowledgement from, from God himself of who David was and what he was supposed to be doing. In other words, just saying you have some authority in some situation doesn't necessarily make it so in somebody's life. Sometimes these are like three good ideas to think through in developing and building platforms in people's lives. That, that's what I would say. In, in really developing ministry relationships, these are three things that you want to develop and have happening in your life. Being somebody that you can, can connect with other people, there's something that is uh, there that, that connects. What's the history? What's the history that you have with the Lord? Again, this is the idea that we talk about, about sharing our testimony, sharing our story. There, has, there is a story that's history, and I think it's important that it's his story in your life. Your story about you isn't really going to be the whole thing. The whole thing is, what is it that God's done in your life? His story, history. What's his story in your life? And I think that's what you want to capitalize on that. Where you've come from and what God's done in your life, capitalize on it. Share that openly with other people. It's the one thing that nobody can argue with unless they're going to look straight in the eye, straight at you in the eye and just call you a flat-out liar. And a lot of people aren't going to do that. Most of the time, they're going to listen to your testimony. The history, your testimony is the history of who God is in your life. And, and it should be relatable. It's something that you should be, make sure it's relatable to some, something that somebody else is happening in their life. You don't have to share the exact struggle. You see, that's not the key. It's not sharing the exact same struggle. It's that you can share with them the hope in any struggle. That's the deal. It's not that we all share the exact same struggle, but that we share the same hope in the midst of any struggle, whatever the issue, whatever the sin, whatever the problem. So, David now at 30 years old, obviously a key age, we see that as Jesus at 30 years old began his public ministry, you remember? The Levites, that was at the time when they believed that true maturity had set in and they would begin to uh, do uh, ministry in a more public fashion at that age. That's a very common point in time, kind of a point of reference. Now in verse 6 it says, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. Now, the Jebusites are thought to be some of the original Canaanites, basically. They're thought to be that in, in the history, in the line of things. So the Jebusites, some of the original Canaanites, remember, of the land that they had gone in, the inhabitants of the land, the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Now, David wanted to go, he has his eyes on Jerusalem, wants to kind of take over Jerusalem, and they're saying, hey, listen, uh, it's not going to happen. Basically, this is an unpenetrable fortress environment, basically, is what they're saying to him. And you can try what you want and whatever you want, but we don't even need to guard this. We've got the lame and the blind guarding this for us. We're so confident in our fortress. Interesting. 
That's what they're saying. Now, to a guy like David, it's like, wow, that's a free-for-all. That's a, come on, bring it on. You know, to him, that's a, you know, right, let's, let's go do it. You know? This is what he's thinking. Nevertheless, David took, took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. So he, he still goes after it. Now, David said on that day, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, this, this uh, basically... A, a very carnal people, uh, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul shall be chief and captain. Therefore, they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. It, it, this whole idea of this, this absurd concept that they're never, uh, it's not an impregnable, you can't, can't penetrate the city and all this. And he says, no, that's fine. You guys think that? And he's challenging whoever does this, whoever can go up there and take this over, you know. So he's got challenging his guys. You go and see what you can do with this. And it's kind of interesting. Ultimately, Joab does it. Joab ultimately is one of the guys that gets up in there and uh, finds a, a way in, basically, and goes up uh, this way of the uh, water shaft, finds a way in and, and attacks. So he says, you know, whoever does this, he shall be chief and captain. Whoever does this, he kind of gives them a, a, a challenge. Hey, whoever does this, man, you, you know, you're going to be one of the leaders. One of the things that you can notice in this is that there is some element of initiative. Basically, he's challenging the guys, find a way, figure it out. Find a way, take the initiative. You know, uh, I think this is an important aspect of, of ministry and of really serving the Lord and following the Lord. The Lord puts things out before us, but we, we really need to step out by faith and take the initiative. Find a way, you know, in, in certain things. Sometimes things are very difficult to see our way clear. It's not always perfectly laid out for us, and we have to find a way. And so he does that. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around him... Uh, from Milo and inward. And so David went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. Certainly, the Lord continued to guide him and direct him. And it's really interesting that this stronghold of Zion, Jerusalem, is, and it's Zion, Old Testament, uh, its reference is to the people of God. It's not really just a place, but it's really the people of God. Interesting, in the New Testament, it's referred to in the sense of the church. The body of Christ. Interesting that we see that reference of Zion. Zion means sunny, sunshine, or shine upon. You know, that idea of just shining, God's favor shining upon his people. God's favor shining upon the church, his people, the church. It's not just a physical location, though that's part of the concept that's being shared. But the interesting thing is that particular place, originally when we've come across it, we find out before the Jebusites took over, this carnal group took over, before they cast out the one who was there, ruling there, who was it that used to rule there? Who was it that Abraham came, ran into and that he gave his offering, actually, his tithe to Melchizedek, ruler, king of Salem or Zion, Jerusalem. And so he then was at some point removed from the scene, and who came in, and they rejected him, 
They rejected him. And who came in and, and was there? It was the, uh, the Jebusites, this carnal, you know, hey, we, we were going to do it this way. They just, you know, up, totally opposite or opposed to God and God's purposes. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, this is just interesting stuff. This is just side notes to think through and contemplate. But Hiram, king of Tyre. Now, Hiram, is, this is a Gentile ruler. Sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. Interesting now. You've got these Gentile group that does see David for who he is acknowledges him as the ruler and really comes underneath him in that way. This is, how, this is what happened with the church, isn't it? The Gentiles now even can come in and have favor with God through one like in a type, David, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's radical. Man, the Bible is just laced with these simple little truths tucked away in there. They sent messengers to David and cedar trees, and they wanted to build this house for him. And so David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. I think it's interesting. Read that closely again with you. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted, God had exalted his kingdom, God's kingdom, for the sake of God's people, Israel. Do you see how David's removed from that to some extent? He's just being, you know, a servant of God too. He knows that God has established him, David, as king over God's people, that God had exalted his kingdom, his own kingdom, and that it was for the sake of God's people, Israel. And David took more uh, concubines and wives from, from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also, more sons and daughters were born to David. And these are some of the names of his sons. Obviously, it would be a painful excursion for us to go through verse 14, 15, and 16. But they're all right there for you to read through. In verse 17, now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel. All the Philistines went up to search for David. Now, this isn't because they were thinking, hey, let's go get a latte together, you know. Let's, let's find David and let's go hang out with David. That's not what they're searching for him for, right? They're, they're searching for him. This is a searching for, and they wanted to make war with him. There's a battle that ensued. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Ritham. so much uh, for listening today. This is Pastor Jim, and I'm really blessed that you've tuned in, and I, I hope that uh, 
God's really doing a, a fresh new work in your life. And oftentimes, uh, when we hear messages like today's message, the Lord starts to tug on our hearts, and, and he, he wants to hear from us. He wants our response, and that's just a prayer, a simple prayer of faith. And maybe you just need to get right with God. Maybe you need to repent and turn your life back over to the Lord. Maybe you just need to give your life to Jesus, and you've never done that before. This is your time. This is your opportunity. God's word goes out. And he's making himself known, and he wants you to live and have everlasting life. Incline your ear and come to him. And so Jesus is calling out to you, and it's your opportunity to respond and call back to him and just open that door in your heart. It's a simple response in prayer. It doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. If you just pray this simple prayer of faith, God will come into your life and make your heart his home. Jesus I ask that you would do just that, make my heart your home, that you would come in and forgive me of my sin. I want to ask you to be my personal Lord and Savior. I know this isn't about religion. It's about a relationship, and I want to start that relationship. You're calling out to me. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I'm in need of spiritual help, and so I'm calling out to you, God, asking that you would help me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making yourself known to me. And Lord, I just want to receive that gift of everlasting life. I want to thank you for it right now. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, Simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. And if you're social media savvy, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash calvarychapelkc. Also, Living Fountains podcasts are available in the iTunes store now, and you can download them at no cost. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, we meet in Overland Park on Sunday mornings. The service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com, or you can simply contact the church office at 913-681-1635. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word, and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountains.